Oh my days, welcome back to episode 3 of Tom's Takes. Uh, whatever time it is for you, wherever you are right now, thank you for tuning in. I hope you're having a great day. So, we're back, another episode. Uh, been in a busy week this week, I've been, uh, you know, doing a lot of teaching and that's been really interesting, like, especially we're doing lots of, uh, like, electrotherapy and hands-on sort of treatment, like, hooking people up to, uh, I don't know if you've seen it, like, the electrodes and, um, you know, doing some therapy with those devices, like, where you sort of, like, create a little tingling, numb feeling on, on the skin uh, to try and take away people's pain and... I don't know, a bit mixed bag with the evidence out there on it, but uh, so frustrating a little bit that you have to teach it when it's like, oh, you know, we'll look back in 5, 10, 20 years time. I already look back at it, teaching it now going, oh, I wouldn't do this very often clinically, Uh, but, you know, it's still one of those things you have to teach, similar to the hands-on sort of stuff, I think relying on passive sort of therapies versus encouraging more active things like exercise or other self-management techniques is definitely where I align myself. So I don't know, not the, not the most fun thing to teach, but it is, uh, it is a bit, uh, entertaining to see, you know, first year physio kids try to learn this sort of stuff. Um, you know, and not in a bad way, not like laughing at them, but you know, just like anything, when you learn a new skill, it's, it's often difficult and you make mistakes and, yeah, there's a big learning curve with it. So it's great to get hands on with them and try to teach them the the key points, key principles and see them get slowly better at it. Um, so teaching has been good. Pav, my partner has started playing outdoor netball. So she just had her first game. Um, she's a gun. She can play like any, any position, but she really prefers defensive sort of positions like goal defense wing defense or center so she's got good stamina she can run around fly around the court and mark anybody and create plays so they were a bit unfortunate they didn't get the win but it was great to go out and watch her and it was really wet out on the court so it was uh it was good that she didn't slip over or anyone on the team didn't have have an injury I didn't have to put my physio hat on (laughs) on the weekend which was good uh, one last thing that's been interesting was that last week we, Parv and I did a, a walk for Wayjek. It's a women and girls emergency center. Um, and the whole group as a, as a whole raised up, up around $250,000. So they're a group that does lots of support and hands-on groundwork with, you know, women and girls going through, um, uh, hard times or in really vulnerable positions and just, need a helping hand so love to support them and yeah massive shout out to Pav and Isabella for being part of the team and helping to raise a lot of money. I'm gonna start doing a you know first off after the sort of welcome and what's been happening with me in the last week or so or since the last episodes happened I want to do a quick uh, sort of rundown on the main things that you may have missed or like the quick and dirty around the world in sports that, you know, the big headlines or things that have happened. So what you may have missed, Joel Embiid, 
the big man from the 76ers in that last game, sealing the win against Toronto uh, in game six. He got elbowed in the face by Pascal Siakam on the other team, and it fractured his uh, near his eyebrow. He got a facial fracture, like an orbital fracture in his skull um, and a concussion. So concussion protocol, and with that fracture, he's missed the first two games. And, yeah, 76ers have not really been very competitive against the Miami Heat with the Heat winning both those games rather easily. Elsewhere, we had in the NBA, the Celtics and the Bucks split the first two games. So on the Celtics' home court, first two games, Bucks went up 1-0, easily winning that game by around 20, 30 points. And then Celtics yesterday did the same sort of thing, won game two by about 10, 20 points. So easy, interesting to see that one tied up again. Next up, we had the Warriors and Grizzlies similarly splitting the first two games. So, you know, Grizzlies were the highest seed. Memphis, um, first two games at their home, at their house. Warriors came in really strong in game one, took the win. Then in game two, Memphis just pulled the win out of the fire, out of the bag last minute. So it's one all in that series as well. Um, We had... Muhammad Ali's grandson, switching over to boxing now, Nico Ali Walsh. He had his uh, a fight over the weekend on Sunday where he knocked out his opponent just with one punch in the first round, so securing the, the easy KO victory in that one. Man, you would say it's something in the genetics with him, right? Uh, Looks uh, very scary, would not want to fight him, would not want to fight anyone, but um, definitely not with him, wouldn't want to step in the ring, and man, he he's going to be great to watch and see if he can, you know, not putting pressure on him, but it would be great to see and really cool to see how he lives up to his grandfather's legacy and what type of career he makes for himself. We also had the Champions League final has been locked in now. So yesterday, Liverpool held on against Villarreal, gave him a little bit of a scare and went through. Uh, And then Manchester City this morning uh, choked away a little bit of a lead against Real Madrid and Real Madrid pulled off a miracle. So it will be Real Madrid versus Liverpool in the Champions League final. Uh, We still have a few weeks to wait for that one, but good to have that locked in. Two world-class teams, and that will be really exciting coming up. Uh, Jumping over to the NFL, we had the first-round draft picks, which are covered, but then we had, you know, draft days two and three where, you know, we we went, they go through from rounds two to six. So we had the rest of the... Uh, college picks and free agents being picked up. So we'll go through a few of the big stories that happened there. Um, Just staying with NFL, last thing with that was surprisingly DeAndre Hopkins, the crazy freak of nature talent from Arizona Cardinals, being hit with the doping suspension. They apparently came out now, which is surprising that he tested positive back in November, like mid-season last year, he tested positive for, you know, performance-enhancing drugs, 
um, was over the threshold and is getting a six-game suspension at the start of this upcoming year. So, man, big loss for Arizona. You know, this guy, DeAndre Hopkins, if you don't know, you know, he went, not last year, but the year before, every pass the quarterback threw at him, he did not drop a single pass. Like, he caught 150 passes all year, didn't drop it at all. So it's like he's got super glue on his hands. He is so reliable and, you know, very agile, sidesteps, can get open so easily, great route runner, very fast. He's up there in my sort of top five in best wide receivers, maybe even ever, if not currently playing. So that's a massive loss for them. He's their wide receiver one. And a bit of conspiracy theories coming out with uh, how I talked about Arizona um, trading a few days ago for Hollywood Brown, the Wade uh, Ravens wide receiver. And there's lots of memes going around that Hollywood Brown, you know, put something in his tea, put something in his coffee because he wanted to be the number one wide receiver. <laughs> um, well, he'll get his chance. He, he'll get his targets. So let's see what he can do with it. And just lastly, the last sort of big story that might have missed or some important uh, info going on in the EPL is that uh, the season is coming to a close. There's only four or five games left with Manchester City and Liverpool, the only two teams that have a chance at winning the title, both of them up the top with around 82, 83 points. Um, Manchester City's on top. It's interesting now that the final, now that Man City has been knocked out, will that give them an edge with the Premier League, you know, that being their sole focus rather than Liverpool having a little bit of a downfall or split between two competitions where one eye is looking at the Champions League, one eye is on the Premier League and maybe they slip up in both and miss out on both. Um, or they can do they can do both. They can secure the dub in the Champions League and the EPL. So, and it's a shame that Man City lost and we, we could have had this... Uh, you know, it's great. The Premier League setup where you have to win, you know, it's the best team over 39 games. You know, there's no big cup final for the Premier League. It's just who won, who won more games, who got the more, who has more points at the end of the year. Whereas the Champions League, it's, it's more knockout based and there is, you know, just one match in the final to decide it all. So it would have been really cool to see the, who was the, who was more consistent out of Liverpool or Man City and then you could have had the Champion League decide who's the the more big game club. But uh, unfortunately, we miss out on that. But um, Liverpool can can show show the world and do do a, uh, the double, do the Champions League and the EPL. So excited to see what happens there. And then relegation in the Premier League is a little bit interesting too, with Chelsea throwing away points at Everton. Uh, shock loss, a one 0 loss to them. So. It puts Leeds uh, as well, who are just outside that relegation zone. Um, you know, the, the bottom two spots, so the bottom three teams in the Premier League will get relegated at the end of the year. The bottom two spots are already set. There's no way those two teams come out of it, but Everton was is the number three team who's currently, if the season would end today, would be relegated, but Leeds is only one or two points ahead of them, so... It makes that race for relegation a bit more interesting now. And that's the main main news, main events. We'll dive into a couple of those stories a bit deeper.
So let's focus in here on the NBA and first off with the Celtics playing the Bucks. So that's one of the uh, Eastern Conference semifinal matchups. So Boston Celtics being the number two seed against Milwaukee Bucks and Giannis, the number three seed. So we had game one a few days ago and Bucks came out really strong, really, really physical, you know, bullying in the paint, a lot of fast break points. So Celtics would throw up a shot, be a bit stagnant, wouldn't be a good shot. Bucks would rebound it easily, no contest by the Celtics and just sprint down the floor, you know, barging over other players, throwing a bit of elbows, being really physical and getting an easy dunk or an easy layup or a wide open three. That's Milwaukee's game. And I think Boston and the Celtics just coming off, beating Brooklyn so easily and Brooklyn being very different in their tactics against compared to the Bucks. Like Brooklyn is a very, you know, razzle-dazzle, hero ball, like lots of tricky dribbling, flashy plays, not super physical, not super like it's a very modern type of basketball game. Like not, yeah, not physical, not in your face, not trying to score a lot of points with big men. It's lots of three points and beat you off the dribble rather than post up, shoulder charge you, put an elbow, that sort of thing. So I think Boston just were really surprised and got, you know, the old-fashioned Mike Tyson got punched in the mouth, wasn't expecting it. Um, So Milwaukee really shocked them in game one and they weren't ready for it, so it was an easy win. But great to see from Boston and really, really important. So like I said last couple of times, if you're the highest seed, which is Boston, you get the first two games at home and losing at home is something you don't want to do. You know, lots of people say in the, in the playoffs, uh, it only really starts this, like a series doesn't start until the home team loses because home field is such an advantage and you're expected to win at home. You know, if you're the away team, Give it your best shot if you're playing away from home, but no one really expects you to win. You just need to come home and take business, take care of business at your home court. But that's why it's such an advantage if you're the lower ranked team and you can win away from home because at some point you had to. It's a seven game series. The higher seed is going to get four games at their home and you're only going to get three. And you need to win four games to win. So yeah, that's where it's like, mark off, guarantee your three wins at home, but you're going to have to steal a game on the road. So Bucks have already done that in game one, which is really, really good. They can now go, whatever, we don't need to win at your home anymore. We can just come back to Milwaukee and try to take care of business there, and we move on. So... Really important in game two that Celtics responded and didn't let Milwaukee get greedy and steal two games. Like, oh, imagine going down two games to nil and then having to go and play two games in Milwaukee. And if you don't win either, the series is over. They win 4 nil. So great to see the Celtics respond. Um, in that game, they came back 
more physical and, and shocked the Bucks and stepped it up another level. I don't think Milwaukee thought the Celtics could. So they really played physical with Giannis and really sort of like understood what Milwaukee's tactics were in game one and adjusted. So Milwaukee Bucks have lots of length, have really tall players like Giannis, Brooke Lopez, Bobby Portis Jr., and a great defender in Drew Holiday. And their tactics, their game plan is to sort of build a wall and not stop you from shooting threes. They don't care. They're daring you to do that. You know, where the paint is in that painted square, painted rectangle above under the rim, they're sort of putting their five guys there and saying, we're not going to let you get anything easy. We're going to stop you from getting easy two-point layups or you're not dunking on us. And the Celtics finally understood that. They said, okay, if you're not going to guard us out wide and on the three, we're going to shoot it and we believe in ourselves. And in game two, Celtics put on a clinic. It was a masterclass. Every shot was basically going in. And, you know, people like Jalen Brown was getting... 20, 30 points and hitting all his threes. You know, Grant Williams stepping up and getting a surprising sort of 20, 25 points. Um, so really team effort from Boston and they hit their shots and not much else to it. It was great that they didn't, you know, let the, let an ego like other teams have in their regular season or with Brooklyn go, well, let's just still, you know, I see what they're trying to do. They're putting all their players in the paint. I still want to try and dunk in their head or I still want to go for a layup. Like, no, they're doing something. Let me, you're a professional basketballer. Like hit the three or hit a long two. You can do it. It's uncontested. Um, so I'm interested to see if Milwaukee changes up that strategy. Um, their offense, Milwaukee as well, they, cause Boston hit so many shots, it meant that they could set up their defense um, really organized, you know, as opposed to if Boston shoot a bad shot and Milwaukee get the rebound, everybody for Boston is out of position. And it's like a scramble. Oh, who's marking who? You have to try and turn around and talk to your team whilst they have the ball, whilst Giannis is running at you like Usain Bolt when he's the size of a, of a fridge. He's like Derrick Henry. Um, you don't have any time to react or to organize anything. So, that's Milwaukee's game plan. They're not a half-court offensive team. They don't do all these tricky, flashy plays. They can once in a while, but what they love to do is to really hit you on the fast break, get the ball in Giannis's hand, let him be Usain Bolt, but as the size of a fridge, and just run through you and just say, our guy is bigger, faster, and badder than any of your defenders. Good luck stopping him. So that was a difference. Game one, that Giannis could do that, and Celtics weren't ready for it. Game two, Celtics realized what they were doing, hit, hit their shots. That meant they could have more time to set up their defense, more organized, build a wall in front of Giannis, put two, three people on him, make him pass the ball, be really physical, get your hands on him. If they're shoulder barging you, you giving them a little bit of an elbow or... Same with Brooklyn and KD, how they were treating them. You know, two, three guys going up for shots, defending Giannis. So great adjustment, great tactics. I love to see it, um, especially by the first year head coach for Boston. Um, 
yeah, I think that this is going to be a really good series. And now it's Milwaukee's turn to respond and see if they adjust with their tactics to, you know, guard the three-point line a bit better or not. You know, Boston, who knows if they can shoot like that as well consistently. You can do it for one game, but that's why Golden State, these Splash Brothers are so famous because you can't even dare them to do that anymore. They'll just they'll just still hit those shots in your face, even if you are defending them. So we'll see if Boston can consistently hit three-pointers, um, or we'll see how Milwaukee responds. You know, they're on home court now. They're expected to win. If they can get these next two games, they'll be up 3-1. So really keen for this series. This is must-watch TV, and I think this one will go seven games. Next up, we had Memphis Grizzlies as the highest seed playing Golden State Warriors, the number three team. So another 2v3 battle there. Um, first game, it was the major story in that one was Draymond Green's ejection with the flagrant two foul at around halftime. And before that, you know, Memphis... Started the game really well. Golden State fought back, quite even going to halftime. And then there's a, a play, there's a, a foul where Memphis has the ball under the rim. One of their players jumps up to try and dunk the ball. Draymond Green, the Golden State defender, jumps up with him, sort of accidentally puts his fingers like in a claw sort of grip and grips down gets his hand stuck in the in the Memphis player's jersey and then it looks bad. It looks... The referees interpreted it like, it like Draymond Green sort of grabbed at his jersey and swung him to the ground. But it's been really interesting and great to hear from Draymond himself um, after the game and on his own podcast and see lots of people talking about it and... Yeah, you can really see him talk through that there wasn't really intent to use excessive force or to really do a rough or dangerous play. Like, it was no intent to do anything dirty. Um, But he still got ejected for it in the game, which means, yeah, he left left the field, went back, had an early shower, and he's their best defensive player. So it was really looking a bit doom and gloom for the Warriors and... Um, you know, how are they going to get any rebounds? He's their best, you know, interior defender under the rim, really good shot blocker and getting steals. Um, it's over now. Like Golden State are going to lose this game. They responded really well though. Um, Memphis sort of took a back seat, took their foot off the gas. Golden State came through and won that game, which is huge as yeah, Draymond Green was out for basically half of it. In the next game, still at still at Grizzlies home at Memphis, there was another flagrant two foul, and this one was it, it makes you think, oh, where's the consistency sort of at? So the Golden State player was through on goal, through to getting like an easy layup, and then in the playoffs there's sort of a saying, you know, don't let any layups happen, don't any let any easy shots happen. I'd rather you foul the player and make them hit two free throws then get an easy wide open dunk. And I think that was the Memphis coach and team philosophy. So 
Golden State's running through for an easy dunk, easy layup. A defender's like sprinting after him from behind, chasing him desperately. And as the Golden State guy's trying to dunk it, the other Memphis player comes through, whacks him on top of the head, and the Golden State guy has to doesn't get get the ball in, and he's falling sideways, puts his arms out to stop himself, and uh, fractures his elbow, nearly dislocates his his elbow, his arm. Really gruesome, horrible injury. Um, really dirty play, and that's given the same sort of treatment as the Draymond Green foul, which, you know, accidentally got his hand stuck in the jersey. He's actually trying to help stop him from falling and hitting the ground, but the Memphis player kind of flops. That's the game one flagrant two ejection one for Draymond, and it's given the same treatment as this dirty hit over the head causing a broken arm. Um, yeah, I don't really get it. It's They really need to look at that and yeah, either downgrade Draymond's one or upgrade this one further against the Memphis guy who did that. Um, yeah, it makes me think, where's the consistency? I don't know. Who's really, who's refereeing these games? It makes me think about all the conspiracies with betting and what the, what the NBA wants to happen, which team they want to go through. Um, I don't know. I'm glad, you know, you never want someone to get injured, but it's, it's, at least it wasn't a big player for Golden State. You know, Garen Payton the second has been really helpful in his contributions, but it wasn't a, a Steph Curry, a Clay Thompson, a Draymond Green, a Jordan Poole. Um, so thank goodness for that. But oh, you, I, you really hate to see those sort of tactics and just shows. I don't like that mindset of, I get it, like in the playoffs you don't want to let up easy buckets and stuff, but player safety, player welfare, like there's a way that you can foul. You can just touch him on the jersey and that's a foul rather than touching him on the head sort of thing. So, or completely like clotheslining his head, I should say. Um, yeah. Best wishes to Gary Payton. That injury is going to take probably four to six weeks, maybe eight weeks to heal a broken sort of elbow. Um, around there, probably put him into a cast and that sort of thing. So he won't be back anytime soon, which is a shame. Um, again, in the second game, Golden State, each sort of team sort of responding with each, their sort of runs. This series is dominated with, you know, we know what Golden State is going to do. They're a, a, a three-point shooting team, team that can play good physical defense, but Memphis has the advantage in size. So like rebounding and interior defense, but Golden State winning game one, getting more rebounds and getting easy layups, didn't have to shoot a lot of threes, didn't have Steph Curry, Clay Thompson having big games. It was more of a shared contribution. And this series basically comes down to Is Ja Morant for Memphis going to have to score 40 points, 50 points every game to keep his side in it? And how consistently can he do it? You know, this Ja Morant guy is the most improved player this year. He got that award. A couple years ago, he got Rookie of the Year award. He's a fringe MVP candidate. He's going to be, you know, the next face of the league, face of the franchise, like LeBron is and was sort of five, ten years ago. Um, massive superstar. But it's really 
looking like a one-man team, sort of like with Luka Doncic with the Mavs um, out in that series with Phoenix, you know. Does Luka and does Jar have to get 40, 50 points for their team to win? And even still, it's so close. Like, even Memphis winning this game too, it came down to the final minute and a couple of questionable calls by the referees on some fouls that went Memphis's way. Um, now it goes back to Golden State, and same thing with the Bucks. You know, Golden State was the lower team, but they got they they stole a win away from home. Now they just need to win all their home games, and and they're through. So we'll see how that goes. Want to see more of a team effort by Memphis and taking advantage of their size in both offensive rebounds and defensive rebounds. And uh, we'll see if Golden State can keep having um, the other guys, apart from the Splash Brothers and Draymond Green, involved. I think when they play more as a team, they're more, um, they're even more dangerous and harder to play. So you love to see it. Be interesting uh, how the next two games go. Heading back over to the Eastern Conference, we had the matchup between uh, Miami Heat, which is the number one team, versus the Philadelphia 76ers, who's the number four team. And like I said at the top of the episode, the podcast, at that, you know, Joel Embiid having that uh, facial fracture, the orbital fracture near his eyebrow in that last game of Toronto. And and first, let me just say, why is he on the field at that point? You know, I thought Toronto would have won that game six and we would have had a really interesting game seven. Philadelphia, to their credit, came out in that game six and and really closed out that game, showed their intention. And they were up with like 10 minutes to go by 20, 30 points. Had the game, you know, with the cherry on top, had it nicely wrapped up. They should have subbed out all their stars and go, yep, let's prepare for Miami Heat now. Let's put our B team in or our C team in. We have this game. We're not going to lose. We're not going to do an Atlanta Falcons choke a 28-3 lead. Um, We, yeah, we have faith. We don't need our, our potential MVP candidate, Joel Embiid, out there on the floor anymore. Let's give him some rest just in case he gets injured. But no. No, that wouldn't be reasonable, would it? They left him out there and he got elbowed in the face in that Toronto game, the last game, causing that fracture and put him into the concussion protocol where he at least had to miss a week. Um, Yeah, the league and every sport has really come down and cracked down on concussions at the moment, which is really good good to see in a um, really sort of underrated or... Um, yeah, needs a lot of spotlight as those, you know, we hear, especially from the NFL, like that chronic um, traumatic encephalopathy and all types of injuries and illness that can come from chronic and long-term repeated concussions is, you know, a lot more research is being done, but we're really finding out just now about the consequences of that. Sort of like with, you know, when everyone used to think smoking was healthy, um, it's like we're back in the 1950s, 60s now going, oh, we're starting to get those campaigns and taking it seriously around concussions, which is great to see. Um, so he, he already had that, but then now with the fracture, he's he's missed the first two games. I don't think he's, he may not come back. 
And he is the 76ers X Factor. He's the guy, and rightly so, being considered for MVP. Getting, you know, almost averaging 30 points a game, around 10 assists a game, 10 rebounds a game. Like, that is huge offense and defense production for your team. And he's the real, he's the bus driver. He's the train conductor. He's driving the train, driving the car, driving this offense and defense. He's the coach out on the field. And so when he's not there, it's like if your your manager went on holidays for three months or the CEO, CEO of the company just went out and lived on a deserted island, didn't take their phone, not responding to emails, and you're trying to make decisions and uh, run the company, you know, it's going to be a lot less efficient and a lot less effective and people are not going to be productive. People are not going to know what's going on. Um, people not used to the roles, people being forced to step up like James Harden and Tyrese Maxey and Tobias Harris, who are trying their best, but, you know, don't know how to be the number one guy, don't know how to be the number one scorer or play defense. You know, this Miami Heat team is so versatile, so tall, like anyone can guard anyone, anyone can score from anywhere. And that extends to their bench too. You know, they've got eight, nine, ten guys who can do that versus Philadelphia with maybe just two or three. Um, so it's a real mismatch and they've both games have not been close at all. Um, just too easy for Miami Heat. And I think they can already start to prepare for the winner of the Bucks celtics sort of games. I think they should have those on at halftime and be watching them so they can get a head start on breaking down the film for that. Um, yeah, the 76ers, even with Joel Embiid, I think wouldn't have won this series. But without him and, you know, it's only been two games and they were at Miami's home. So it's like, like I said before, it's like, oh, Tom, Miami's only done what, what's expected of them. Now it goes back to Philly and they have two games at home. So the series is right where it should be technically. Yes, but I think... This series could be a sweep looking at how it's going. I don't think Philly has much of a chance at home. You know, James Harden, I didn't really rate him even back in the day when he was at his best at Houston Rockets. He was a great regular season player and he could get so many three-pointers and layups and was super aggressive and could get 30 points a game any night, but became a different player in the playoffs, you know, shrunk into his shell, not a good leader, and he's... He's done the same throughout his career, and it's only gotten downhill from there. So he's not the same James Harden. I don't expect him, you know, what it would take for Philadelphia is James Harden to show us uh, something different, something haven't we seen before, doing, you know, what Ja Morant or Luka Doncic is doing, really carrying his team and go out there and score 40, 50 points and, yeah, be the guy. And I just don't see that from him or anyone else in the Sixers. So it's unfortunate. We're kind of robbed of, you know, the 76ers, I think, for the whole offseason will go, oh, you know, if we only had Joel Embiid, you know, our guy, he had the fracture. Who knows how he would have gone? You know, we we know how it would have gone, I think. But, um, yeah, so it's a, it's a shame that that one hasn't turned out as, as interesting as it could have been. Uh, we'll see. Let's... Let's see if I'm right in seeing if that's it will be an easy sweep. Hopefully Philadelphia can make it interesting and at least test Miami. I think 
that would actually be good for Miami in the first series against the Hawks. Even the Hawks could could win a game. So, I don't know. You really want to... It's going to really help them playing the Celtics and the Bucks. Similar to, like, you don't want Miami falling into the same trap as Boston has just done, where they have a couple easy series, a couple easy wins, come up against a really physical and more skilled opponent and are not ready for them because the last few opponents have been too easy. So you... It would actually be good for Miami's sake as well going forward if Philadelphia can work things out and even steal a couple of wins or something, really push them, give them a game. Um, So we'll see. The Phoenix Suns out in the West, the number one team, best team in the NBA all year against the Dallas Mavericks, the number four team with Luka Doncic being back now. Um, So we've only had one game in that series and that was at in Phoenix at their home, and Phoenix, even though the final score was, I think, 121 to 114 over Dallas, so Phoenix winning that game, you know, Dallas was never in it, and should have been like how, what I was just talking about with Philadelphia and Toronto, that should have been how that game went, so Phoenix controlled the whole game, came out really physical, they've just, like Miami as well, have such a complete team, and have guys, you know, down their roster, even, you know, number six, number seven, number eight guy, you know, Cam Johnson, Jamie Crowder, Mikel Bridges, um, DeAndre Aiden, just have such a complete roster apart from their sort of superstar players in Chris Paul and Devin Booker. Um, So just a really hard team to play as they can score at will, can score behind the three-point line, a really elite and accurate and efficient at scoring. You know, when I say efficient, that they score a lot of points, but it's from not a lot of shots. You know, they're not... Anyone can score 20 points if they take 20 shots, but can you score 20 points taking only maybe eight shots? That's like, you know, seven or five threes or six threes and a couple of twos and you're not missing a lot of shots. So yeah, that's what I mean. Suns are super efficient with their shooting and in contrast to the Jazz, like DeAndre Ayton is not similar but has some similarities with that Rudy Gobert with the ass player that I was like mocking last time a couple episodes back. You know, you don't want this big guy out there who can't defend threes and is a liability on defense. You know, DeAndre Aiden's not the best defender. You know, similar to like Giannis or this Rooney Gobert can really defend in the paint and around the rim, like stopping easy layups and dunks, but isn't great at, you know, because he's a big man, isn't the most agile, right? But differently to Rudy Gobert and the ass that was a bad tactic is don't have this really tall guy that's a defensive liability and can't... Co- like, can't score on the other end. He's not going to drop 20-30. That's the difference in this series. The Suns, DeAndre Ayton, whilst he's not the best defender, he is guaranteed to play good offense. He's going to make buckets. He's going to catch lobs and dunk it on your head. He's going to make easy layups. He's going to post you up, be physical with you. He's going to be really efficient as well. So, 
Yeah, it's that's tough for the Mavericks. I think they need everybody in the Mavericks to mm-hmm. step up and help Luca. And Luca was great in Game One. He he dropped forty four points, which is monumental. But even still, the Mavs, like I said, they never looked like they were gonna win the game. It never looked close. Um, that's why we really need to see the other guys, Jalen Brunson especially, to really uh, work through the dribble penetration and hit some of those mid-range twos, um, be more physical, and Dallas can't be like just waiting behind the three-point line and just everyone looking at Luca, expecting him to do Luca magic. You know, he can do it, but that's not been enough. And they need more movement, more confusion, create harder, make it harder on uh, Phoenix's defense to guard and make them have to think about something else beside Luca. And that's going to get Luca more uh, open and have him get easier shots. And it's going to get other players more open and them easier shots as well. So I want to see a few adjustments from them in the next series. And, uh, Hopefully they can make that more of a game. I still think the Phoenix Suns will easily get through probably in five games against the Mavs. Um, you know, they just have too many players that can get 20, you know, drop 20 points really efficiently and then stop their person, stop the person they're marking, stop their man from getting 20 as well. So if you can go out and get 20 and keep your opponent from getting 20, that's huge. That's like a guaranteed win. Um, and they, they have that with elite defenders like Mikel Bridges, Jamie Crowder, um, Devin Booker, who can really frustrate Luka Doncic and try to keep him under 40 points and make someone else beat them. And I just don't think Dallas, like the 76ers, can step up and they have enough depth in those other guys who can really yeah, make someone else beat them. Shifting gears now to the NFL. Um, like I said at the, at the start, we had the later rounds, like from rounds two to six, happen over the last couple of days. And now that's concluded, and I want to go through just a couple of bigger stories, um, a couple of yeah key picks that happened there, and my thoughts about the two quarterbacks, um, Malik Willis and Desmond Ritter, finally getting taken. And then Green Bay in the second round as well, picking a wide receiver going through that. Um, I won't go through this draft as in detail as the first round draft picks as it's way more of a lottery, you know, the whole draft process, but really it's the first and second rounders, mainly more so the first rounders who are, you know, nothing's ever guaranteed, but more expected to be NFL professionals and transition to that role. And that's why it's such a cool story every year. And it, it's so rare, but so cool to see, you know, and it, it's made such a big deal of, you know, halfway through the season, someone's playing well and they're going, oh, you know, that guy is actually a rookie and he was, you know, undrafted. He didn't get drafted. He was a free agent or he was a, a sixth round pick or a fifth round pick. You know, those guys have very little expectations put on them because awesome. That's a dream come true to get drafted or even signed after you 
missed out on getting drafted, but still the odds are odds are not in your favor from there and so many people to beat out and you know the rest of people have been drafted before you in previous years and made it to the NFL. You know, they're all first round sort of guys or high round guys or guys who've become high round picks or really high end talents and real professionals. So really hard industry to break into and yeah that's why it's such a big deal to for an undrafted uh player or later round pick to break into the nfl and why it's yeah highly covered and celebrated afterwards because it's so rare anyway um we had kenny pickett be the first quarterback in the first round picked and he went to the steelers and then there was a couple other quarterbacks who were sort of heavily focused on before the draft. In particular, a lot of stock on Malik Willis and Desmond Ritter, the quarterback out of Cincinnati. Um, And they both went into the third round. So Desmond Ritter getting picked by the Atlanta Falcons and then Malik Willis being picked by the Tennessee Titans. And that was surprising to me. I thought, you know, Kenny Pickett, who was taking the first round, his comparison was like, oh, he's a poor man's Mac Jones or a poor man's Kirk Cousins. And both of those guys are not very athletic, um, also rely on their mechanics, you know, their hip movements, their arm movements to be accurate. You know, they're not... Lamar Jackson or Kyler Murray, they're not running around and doing spin moves, doing crazy jukes. They're not like a, a video game player. Um, they're not sort of, he's not Patrick Mahomes who's making these crazy throws or Joss Allen, that sort of thing. Malik, Malik Willis, that was his sort of comparison, like Josh Allen, but yeah, much more sort of bootleg and needs a lot of work and can't really perform within the pocket, you know, he needs to run around and be in space. Um, but he's really big, tall, muscular, and can make some plays with his feet. Um, so was interesting to see him fall a little bit. Um, probably the right spot he went in the third round, like probably an appropriate evaluation. I was nervous as there was just so much hype and it's bad quarterback draft. I thought that some teams would be a bit more desperate and they'd take him higher up, but, um, good to see that, you know, they bought the $500 house, five, yeah, $500,000 house for, you know, 450 or 400,000. So we'll see. Um, doesn't mean that he's going to, these guys are going to be a star and, you know, Desmond Ritter as well. His comparison was to a bit of like a poor man's Marcus Mariota. And even though Marcus Mariota went number two overall, five, six years ago out of Oregon to Tennessee Titans. And we know how that went, you know, the more he started, the worse his career became. And now he's on, you know, he was the backup for the Raiders for a little bit last year. And now he's the starting quarterback for Atlanta. Um, So who knows, maybe those two will battle it out in training camp, Desmond Ritter and Marcus Mariota. And we'll see how that goes. Um, I don't know. I like Marcus Mariota getting another shot to be the starting quarterback, you know, in, in, uh, I wasn't saying Oakland, but in Las Vegas with the Raiders, when he did come on and play sometimes for Derek Carr, he had a positive effect and, um, 
made some plays. So I'd love to see him resurrect his career a little bit. But um, I know you love to see the young guy and the new talent get his opportunity as well and see how that goes. One interesting thought I, I had was, well, I saw was that after Tennessee Titans picked Malik Willis, who was the quarterback um, in this draft, as their pick in the third round, the starting quarterback, Ryan Tannehill, the current one for the Titans, came out and was asked by the media in a press conference, you know, what do you think of that pick? Like, yeah, what are your thoughts? Do you like it? Or And are you excited to have him? Like, you're going to show him the ropes, that sort of stuff. And he was really defensive and was like, oh, you know, it's not my job to mentor him. We'll see how it goes. But, you know, it's going to be a competition. And, yeah, I'm not going to show him anything very, like, sort of defensive about it. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, you know, obviously when a team drafts or, you know, buys another player and it's in your position, it's a bit of a threat and it's like, oh, my job's on the line, I'm, I'm a bit nervous. But I don't know, how would you, I, I would want to think about it, I like to think about it from the other person's perspective and, you know, like if you were to start a new job and, you know, I'm a physio and you go into a hospital or somewhere else and there's other physios, you don't want to see it as, your manager going, oh, this guy, you know, does Tom want to be the manager one day? Maybe I won't show him as much as I should and he can learn things the hard way and do things like I did it and I won't give him a leg up and I won't share helpful things with him. Or, yeah, you know, your boss on the first day when you ask a question, they're like, no, I don't want to answer that. You can figure it out yourself or no one told me that or, yeah, I don't want to help you just in case you end up taking my job. I, I don't like that mentality and... I don't think it's helpful for the team. I think it, sh- it creates division. And, you know, this guy isn't ready to start anyway. You know, Malik Willis, like I said before, really big, tall, muscular dude, but has really horrible mechanics, like his hips and his shoulders. When you throw the ball, you want them to be synced up and, like, really rotate and swivel back and forth. So you're creating a lot of momentum through your hips and legs to actually throw the ball. Whereas he seems to rely heavily on just like a whip and cracking a whip, sort of whipping his shoulder through. Um, so he's got a, some interesting mechanics to work on. He can't really, he's not really a traditional sort of quarterback in that where the ball is snapped, he, he doesn't play within the pocket very well. Like he has to run around and make plays from outside the plot, the pocket, which is very untraditional and tricky to do in the NFL and you don't want to do that every play. Um, so it's it's a weird mindset from Ryan Tannehill. So I'm saying that this Malik guy has a lot to work on and I don't know. I think I with everything, I, I like to think of, you know, this Ryan Tannehill could have stuff to learn from this Malik Willis dude, right? You know, colleges are getting even better nowadays and... I would have the mindset, you know, I'm happy to help you develop, you know, just know that we're in, obviously we're in competition. So like, I'm not going to go easy. I'm not going to just hand over my job, but you know, any questions you ask, like I'm happy to help. And I, I really want to learn things from you and I'm happy for you to show me things. And, um, you know, I'll have questions for you. So 
I can give it just as good as I, I can take it or dish it out. So, um, yeah, I would love to see that sort of mindset. And we've seen that sort of mindset in the past with, with quarterbacks in the draft where um, the starting quarterback has been a bit angry and a bit upset that another quarterback, a younger guy, has been drafted and really defensive, and it hasn't gone well in the past. It, it just creates division, creates tension in the locker room, and it, it brings everyone down. You know, you don't want coaches, you know, as a quarterback or each position, they get trained together with their position coach. So how is that going to work? You're going to have to, like, Ryan Tannehill, like, exclude this guy from practice and that sort of stuff? Like, I don't know. It just, yeah, it doesn't sit well with me. I don't like the mindset. Um, so we'll see. We'll see how Malik Willis sort of responds to that. We'll see how that develops over the off season And, yeah. Uh, interesting, tense times for the Titans. <laughs> last thing with the NFL draft that happened with the last couple days of it outside of the first round was Green Bay Packers decided to draft a wide receiver finally for their guy Aaron Rodgers in the second round, uh, Christian Watson from North Dakota State University. Um, so yeah, they used their second round pick on him and it just sort of, uh, it puzzled me a little bit. I was a bit confused because you trade away and you had the best wide receiver in the league, Devontae Adams, um, you know, more than a thousand yards, catching a hundred touchdowns, unguardable, could run any route he wants against any coverage, had such good chemistry with Aaron Rodgers, who's the starting quarterback of Green Bay. Very sort of moody, uh, intellectual sort of guy. Not the type of guy that strikes you as can develop chemistry with just anybody. Um, you know, tough to work with, puts you under pressure. Not the not the easiest to build rapport with, it seems like, from the outside. So, um, you know, Green Bay trading away Devontae Adams to the Raiders and getting their first round pick, was, which was in the 20s. And then in the first round, they opted not to use it on a wide receiver and picking defensive players. And that sort of puzzled me again. What's up with that? You know, any team, it wasn't... The best wide receivers were already taken at that point. You know, Chris Alave, Jameson Wilson, um, Jameson Williams and Garrett Wilson were already taken by that point by Detroit the Saints and the Jets, you know, in the tens, but I don't understand. Like Aaron Rodgers came out and he didn't seem too angry or fussed with them taking a wide receiver in the second round, seemed pretty happy with it. And his quote was, you know, we've made it work with wide receivers or skilled positions, tight ends in the second round, third round, fourth round before. So we'll do it again. But I don't know. It's not a strategy I would like to rely on, you know, you on paper they have the worst attacking threats at wide receiver on, compared to any team and i would why wouldn't you trade up why wouldn't you leverage a few picks to go and get one of these more surefire and more productive wide receivers from a bigger college like ohio state with chris olave um Jamison Williams or Garrett Wilson, 
training up earlier, even Drake London, rather than a more sort of bootleg, um, poor man's uh, wide receiver talent. This guy out of the small school, North Dakota State University, Christian Watkins. So a lot of pressure on him to step up and develop a lot of rapport with Aaron Rodgers early and to fill the massive hole left by Devontae Adams from leaving. Um, But that's why you pay Aaron Rodgers $50 million a year. You know, big money, very selfish taking all the money. And I know I can say that, you know, it's, well, I know it's easy for me to say that because I'm not in that position and give me $50 million and see what I choose. But um, I'm of the mindset, you know, I'd rather take, why wouldn't you just take $20 million a year or 25 30 and say, don't worry about me spend this other $20 million building the team and making sure we can re-sign our, our guys, my favorite guys, and we have enough talent. We have enough weapons. So, you know, I've already made, he's made like a quarter of a billion dollars over that in his career, not even including sponsorships. So even more money. What's another like 20, 30 million to you? Why wouldn't your focus be winning? You know, you've only won one Super Bowl. Go out and win more. And how do you do that by building a team around you so that you don't have to be the only player? You know, so many similarities in all these sports, right? Like like I was talking about with Luka Doncic and Ja Moran, you don't want these one-man teams. You want four or five big-name dudes that can all work together and have the same mindset and a similar sort of monetary value. It can be a proper team. Um, so it's a bold strategy, leaving the wide receiver to the second round and trading away Devontae Adams. You know, I don't think it's going to be successful. I, I would be really excited in that same division if I was a Vikings fan because Green Bay has taken a big step back. So the door's open for them. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Who knows? I'd love to be proven wrong by this Christian uh, Watkins guy from North Dakota State. We'll see how it goes. Uh, I don't know. I think that if when we look back at the end of the year, I think the other wide receivers, you know, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Jameson Williams, man, it's like a tongue twister, um, will be more productive and will have better years than this uh, Christian Watson guy. Sweet. I want to do, I'm going to leave it to next week, but I want to do a sort of recapping the NFL offseason to what like the biggest moves were, probably like the 10 biggest transfers or coaching changes that happened. Um, So look out for that next episode. And yeah, we'll move on to the Champions League now. So, like I just said, let's move on to the Champions League semi-finals and final now. So, we just had the second legs finish for the Champions League uh, competition where we had Liverpool versus Villarreal. And in the first game, Liverpool won 2-0 at Anfield, at Liverpool's home. So, now it was time to come back to uh, Villarreal and see if they could put in a shift there and do anything. I said in the last episode, you know, that game's over. Doesn't matter. Uh, Villarreal have no chance. 
my goodness, just like with the Toronto uh, 76ers, I, I, I jinxed that, didn't I? Um, you know, Villarreal came out in the game and brought it back. So they were 2-0 down, and before halftime, they were 2-0 up. So it was equal, 2-all. But then, you know, Liverpool sort of pulled their heads together after halftime and got a couple of goals from Fabinho and Lucas Diaz and Mane and went up 3-2. So they were able to easily secure it on aggregate 5-2. Um, you know, good effort by them. I think really impressive by Villarreal to make it this far. No one would have expected that. I saw a great um, sort of picture or stat on Instagram showing that, you know, Villarreal's population, like town capacity is like 50,000 people. And the stadium size at, uh, I think, Anfield at Liverpool's home ground is 50,000. So real small town club um, with big dreams and just awesome for them to get this far. I think great for their young players to get some experience and should bode well for them next year in the Champions League and for them in the... Um, La Liga, the Spanish competition as well. So, yeah, best wishes to them. Congratulations to them, even though they went out. And, you know, as expected, Liverpool progressed through. And then who are they going to play? It was between Man City and Real Madrid. You know, we had last game uh, Real Madrid losing to Man City 4-3. And... This game, Man City go up early, 1-0. And you think, geez, it's over for Real Madrid. They couldn't do this. But in the 90th minute, Rodrigo scores a goal. And then in the second minute of added time, he scores another one, tying it at 5-5, forcing extra time. And then Real Madrid, their golden boy, the king of the... The town at the moment, Karim Benzema, scores a penalty. Uh, no question about it, whether it should have been or not. Clear foul. And they're able to hold on and secure the win uh, on aggregate 6-5. So, man, a bit of a bummer with this one. I would have loved to actually see Man City go through so we could have had that um, sort of double matchup or double header to finish off off the year as the EPL is so close and it's between Liverpool, Man City um, to see who wins the Premier League. And then it would have been cool to see, like I said, who's the, the big moment club, you know, who's most consistent in the Premier League. And then we have who's the big moment club, who's the big game club with the Champions League. But we don't get that. And maybe that's more exciting. So it's, it's less boring and less double up sort of thing. So we have Real Madrid going through... And they'll play who's waiting for them, Liverpool. Man, whoever won this game today, even if Man City went through, tough, tough matchup. Very even, very split odds. Um, you know, Real Madrid, Liverpool or Man City. You know, we know it's going to be Real Madrid, Liverpool. Tough to call that game already. It's like pulling hairs or tossing a coin. Uh, a real 50-50, so... Yeah, keen to see that. We've got a few weeks to wait, but um, if I call it now, I think 
I don't know. Real Madrid have just shown that they can come back from any adversity and to just never count them out this year. So a team like that is really, really dangerous and scary to play and they just show up on the biggest moment. And when it counts and when they're down for the count, they always get up. So who knows? I think I see this one, Liverpool sort of going up early, maybe getting a goal first, and but Real Madrid coming back and winning that. 2-1, 3-1 maybe. That's my early final prediction, but uh, we'll see. Hopefully everyone is is fit to play. You know, you, you want to see everybody fit and healthy for these type of games, and so there's no excuses that Liverpool or Real Madrid can't say, oh, you know, we didn't have Benzema or we didn't have our goalkeeper or they're our best player and they were out and we would have won if, if that happened, you know. No one likes to play those sort of games. Um, yeah. What will be interesting to see, though, now that Man City's out, is if they are able to really run away with these last few games of the Premier League and if Liverpool, still being in for the final, sort of shift their focus or have a bit of you know complacency or forgetfulness about oh, we, we, need to, we need to rest our players for the Champions League or we're more focused on the bigger game or how do they manage focusing on two big sort of final stretches or big games coming up and does that affect them? How do they play their squad? Do they have to rest players in the Premier League so they're focusing on the final? Does that give Man City an extra advantage? I think it does. So I think you should put your bets on Man City with their sole focus to win the Premier League now. Um, But let's see. Let's see if Liverpool can do a tough double this year. I think Man City will push them right to the end. Just finishing off today with our last segment being the Q&A segment. And thank you so much to everyone that's written in so far. Just reminding you guys, uh, write in or follow me on Instagram, TomPatterson97, TomPatterson97 to... Send me your, your questions or your suggestions or your thoughts and uh, make it onto this segment and I'll answer your question. Uh, so just like David's done, he's asked me, which rookie Q quarterback do you like most coming out this year and where would they best fit? Which team would be the best fit for them? Good question there, David. Um, which rookie quarterback? I think it's tough. It's sort of take your pick and what sort of style you like. I base it off where I see the league going at the moment and what's most valuable and who are the best sort of young quarterbacks out now, and that's Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen because they can make incredible incredible throws, have a huge arm, always keep you in the game, um, elevate their receivers, elevate the rest of their team, can pull off sort of miracle plays. So, you know... Whilst Kenny Pickett is probably more accurate and more ready to play right now, and like I said before, like sort of like the poor man's Mac Jones or poor man's Kirk Cousins, and more likely and probably at a higher level than Malik Willis to start right now, I'd rather take someone who's more physically gifted and physically talented and hope that my coaching staff can mould him into a better professional and make him more accurate, get him better mechanics, but rely on his natural abilities and natural talents to make plays and be, 
you know, turn into that sort of Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes type of character, you know. I'd rather swing for the fences and try to hit a home run than just try to swing for a bunt or swing for a single, um, you know. As we saw in the playoffs of the last few years, you're going to have to win shootout games. You know, you're not beating Patrick Mahomes off your defense. You're beating him because you need to score 40 points and you know the Chiefs are going to score 35. Like, you're not trying to hold the Chiefs or the Bills to 10 points. You know, damn, Josh Allen is amazing. Patrick Mahomes is a freak. They're going to get touchdowns. We also have to get touchdowns. We need a quarterback that's equally good, if not better. So why not swing for the fences? And that's why I say Malik Willis, as that's more of a swing for the fence. And it could go wrong. You know, he might not live up to it, but at least you went for it rather than being safe and being stuck in this sort of purgatory, you know, eight, nine wins where you're not shit enough, you're not bad enough to get a high draft pick to redo your franchise, but you're not good enough to make the playoffs. Uh, You're sort of stuck in that purgatory. So I think somewhere, so I think Malik Willis, and then which team would be the best fit? Somewhere that's ready to win. Somewhere that's just sort of like a quarterback away. Because you want to take advantage of the rookie contract where they have small money. You know, they're not being selfish and greedy like Aaron Rodgers or other players in the league taking 50, 40 million. They're only getting paid five or 10 because they're young and they're not getting abused or anything. That's still millions of dollars. And it's a good thing because you can build the rest of your team around them. So, hmm... Where, who's a quarterback away? Somewhere like maybe the Colts where Matt Ryan's getting old and, you know, he sits behind him for a year and then is ready to take the reins. Somewhere like, oh, maybe LA sits behind Matt Stafford for a couple of years and then is able to, yeah, take over there. Yeah, whichever team, it's hard. Because they already have some good quarterbacks. Like I was thinking Russell Wilson with Denver Broncos. They're quite talented, quite skilled. You need a team that's ready to win. Similar that, like when Patrick Mahomes came out, right? They had Alex Smith, already very good, competent quarterback. Already had like Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, really strong running game, defense, attacking weapons. Patrick Mahomes sits for a year, then takes the starting role. And boom, you know, he's won a Super Bowl and been back a couple of times, you know, making lots of playoffs, been an absolute like sensation ever since. So somewhere that's ready to win. And last question here from Irvin saying, which team had the best first round draft pick? I'd have to say that I'm really impressed by the Lions. I know that's shocking, shocking team, shocking record. Uh, loser franchise, but, you know, they had the number one, sorry, the number two pick, and they picked Agent Hutchinson, the guy who's played in Detroit, Michigan all his life, and he's a really, really good edge pass rusher, um, can sack the quarterback, really um, explosive, powerful, strong. I see him doing really well. And then they had the 32nd pick, so they had the last pick in the first round, 
they traded it with the Vikings to go up to pick 12 and, you know, get an, another attacking weapon. This is what I, I wanted Green Bay to do, but the, the Lions did it instead. They went up and got the Alabama wide receiver, um, Jamison Williams, really speedy, great route runner, has great hands, can beat people all over the field. Um, so I love that. I love you attacking both sides of the field and bolstering both sides of the field, really improving your defense and being able to get more stops and then giving your quarterback, Jared Goff, a chance and building around him. So I love those two picks. Alrighty, we're going to leave it there for today's episode. Uh, Thank you for listening. Uh, We've talked about a lot of NBA playoffs, uh, the NFL draft, some transfers there, and the the Champions League as well. Uh, Stay tuned for next episode where we're going to go through some more NFL playoffs as they happen through each series and the biggest moves, um, my takes on the biggest moves this offseason in the NFL and start looking into the Stanley Cup playoffs. The hockey in America and Canada is coming uh, to the playoffs now, and so I'm excited to learn a bit more about that and to pick a team and to follow that a little bit more and break down those sort of matchups as they happen. So, yeah, thank you for listening. I appreciate you. Uh, Have a good rest of your day. Bye.